Good morning. Uh, I just want to double check that I can't see you, uh, but I want to double check that you can hear me. Awesome. All right. Um, I'm going to take a few minutes to take us through the compassion focus uh, this morning, and we're going to go directly from the compassion focus into communion. So if you don't already have your uh, communion elements, I would encourage you to go and grab those while I'm introducing uh, the focus this morning. So <clears throat> our compassion focus this morning is for the world. And unless you have really moved into that cave you are looking at, you will know that the planet is on fire and what's not burning is flooding or melting. If you are what is referred to as a highly sensitive person or you are experiencing compassion fatigue or you are burdened by all the ways this planet is going somewhere in a particular handbasket, then I'm hoping that how we participate in this compassion focus this morning will be a breath of fresh air for all of us. I do feel that's, that it's really important for us to be aware of things happening on this earth, uh, from what's happening next door to national events and further to global crises. But I don't believe that we are meant to try to carry it all and to be weighed down by the natural disasters and the man-made wars or the harm humanity can do to each other. So how can we participate in compassion and how do we pray for the world? So I would just caution that you limit the amount of time you spend reading the news articles, or watching the news cycle. What you need to know about a certain situation in order to feel compassion does not need a massive in-depth research project. You hear that things are accelerating in Afghanistan and you probably have enough to go on without needing to tra the traumatizing details. You hear about the fires raging around the world and you know enough. You see the death toll rising in Haiti after this latest earthquake, and you know enough. You read about more bodies found at residential schools, and you know enough. Part of compassion is understanding its role. Compassion doesn't take control or carry a burden by itself. Compassion is coming alongside and can look a lot of different ways. If you haven't listened to the preceding interviews we've done this summer uh, on Sunday mornings, I would encourage you to have a listen. You can uh, get those on the website because just within our small community, we have many diverse ways of demonstrating compassion. So how do we come alongside the world? I think you may need to make an emotional budget in order to stay within the limits of your emotional resources. Listen to what God is calling you to participate in 
and then use discernment as you navigate how to participate. So here's the most basic steps to compassionately participate with the challenges in this world. As you hear about a disaster, about war, injustice, violence, have this prayer ready for your most vital engagement. Lord, have mercy. This short prayer sets the tone right from the beginning. It is the Lord who we bring these burdens to. And so we remind ourselves that he is the God of mercy. We remember that we need mercy and that we are to give mercy. If you discern that a certain piece of global news is something that is for you to participate in, consider how you might do that. Can you share some money or write a letter? Is this happening close enough to home that you could give some form of physical help? Consider why you are drawn to this situation. Why does it land in your heart? Why does it resonate with you? The very reasons you feel connected to this event may be the clue to how to pray and participate. You may also want to place something uh, in your home or on your desk that reminds you of the situation and draws you back to praying, Lord have mercy. For this morning, I wanna lead you through a very simple exercise. I want you to think of some event happening in the world right now that has captured your attention and emotions. If that event or country or situation were an object, what would it be? How could it be represented? And then try to shrink that down in your imagination to something you could hold in, in your hands. Now, I would like you to bring that object that you have in your hands that represents this event or person, uh, this global crisis, whatever you, you have been drawn to, and sit across from Jesus and say your prayer. Lord, have mercy. And as you do, Offer that object and all it represents to you, to Jesus. And now watch what he does with that. As this situation comes up through your day or week, just come back to this quick exercise. Hold the object again that represents the situation right up to Jesus and pray, Lord, have mercy, and then allow Jesus to take that from you. And now as we enter into communion, let's bring the situation to the table with us. For the sake of this part of the exercise, let's have the situation represented by a person. 
and now consider pulling up a chair for them and invite them to the table alongside you. And let's pray. Jesus, your table is a place of remembering how you suffered and died for the salvation of this whole world. And so we have brought another to the table with us today. Would you fill us with compassion for those we have never met? For those whose names we cannot pronounce? For those who are in desperate need of your mercy and peace? Have mercy on us all, Jesus. And may you use our compassion for the world to bring hope and life to those who are in despair. Your mercy never runs dry. It is not consumed in flames or controlled by mankind. It flourishes in the worst of circumstances and it rises up from the depths of fear and flows from an abundant spring. Your mercy will never be quenched. We receive it, and what we have received, we freely share. As we eat the bread and drink the wine, we remember the difference you make in our lives, Jesus, and we say thank you. Amen. Eat and drink in remembrance of him. All right. Good morning. Ah, that was um, that was great, Eden. Um, I love that thing. Of that prayer is so good. I I I was thinking this morning, looking through Facebook. I'm like, I need to just stop this thing. This just drives me bonkers. But actually, if I just do, Lord have mercy, move on. I think that might actually help, and maybe I can still stay engaged. Um, I am going to keep this very short this morning because I have more questions than I have answers, as always. Uh, but the thing that I want to say is that difference is not just a good thing. Difference is a God thing. Mm. Um, I want to make us think a little bit this morning. And then I want to give us plenty of time to talk to Krista Roby, who's joining us from Malawi, which is pretty exciting. Uh, so let me first read the passage. It's Acts 2, 1 to 13, and then it jumps to 43 to 47. So this is uh, from the message. When the Feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Without warning, there was a sound of a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. There were many Jews staying in Jerusalem just then, devout pilgrims from all over the world. 
When they heard the sound, they came on the run. And then they heard, one after another, their own mother tongues being spoken. They were blown away. They couldn't, for the life of them, figure out what was going on and kept saying, aren't these Galileans? How come we're hearing them talk in our various mother tongues? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, visitors from Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. Don't make me laugh. Immigrants from Rome. Thank you. I got through it. Um, Immigrants from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Oh, you see, I missed it now. Even Cretans and Arabs. They're speaking our language, describing God's works. Their heads were spinning. They couldn't make head or tail of it. They talked back and forth, confused. What's going on? Others joked. They're drunk on cheap wine. And then Peter gets up and he says about Jesus and explains everything that's going on and says, oh, we're not drunk. It's, it's okay. It's the Holy Spirit. And then jumps down um, to this is verse uh, 43. And it says, everyone around was in awe. All the wonders and signs done through the apostles. And all the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw, (laughs) in general. Uh, Every day the number grew as God added to those who were saved. (laughs) I think, I think Luke then just like, he skipped the next couple of days where a couple of people turned out to be real idiots and you know started messing about but you know he's like everyone was in in harmony was marvelous um but i want to actually go back to the speaking in different languages piece it occurred to me that this isn't the only way that god could have done it god could have gotten the message out in a different way god could have done it the other way around he could have given the listeners the ability to understand aramaic all of a sudden God could have made Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus spoke, the one language, the one culture, the one people, and the only access to the truth and standardized the whole thing. But they didn't do that. God diversified. I don't know if you've um, read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Give me a quick, have you? Um, or am I just the nerd here? Okay, just, oh, me, me and Phil. Okay, perfect. All right, and Eden. All right, so there's a few of us. Okay, so um, uh, this what what the way that God did it or the way that God could have done it reminded me of the babel fish let me tell you what the babel fish is the babel fish is a small yellow leech like and probably the oddest thing in the universe it feeds on brainwave energy received not from its own carrier but from those around it it absorbs all unconscious mental frequencies from this brain energy to nourish itself with it then excretes into the mind of the person who is carrying it Um, the nerve signals picked up from the speech centers of the brain which has supplied them. The practical upshot of all of this is that if you stick a babel fish in your ear, you can instantly understand anything said to you in any form of language. The speech patterns you actually hear decode the brainwave matrix which has been fed into your mind by your babel fish. There you go. Now you know. Uh, There have been times in my life where I would have loved a babel fish, this little yellow thing in your ear that would help you understand. Um, I went to a boarding school and there were people from all over the world and uh, there was there was a few girls in my year group who were um, from Hong Kong. So they spoke Chinese and they would often be talking away to each other and then I would hear my name. So da 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 pickering da 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 and I'm like what? What are you saying? And they're like nothing. Oh come on. 
<laughs> so unfair. So a babel fish at that point would have been like, you know, just a sneaky little yellow fish in your ear, so you understood, would have been genius. Maybe I don't want to know actually. But anyway, um, think about travel. Like travel would be amazing. Oh yeah, there's a great video. Um, what, you can check that out later. Yeah, or now if you don't want to listen to the main for the rest of the time, just click the link. They weren't messing with me. They were talking about me. I know they were. Um, but anyway, uh, there are other times it would be useful. I mean, think about travel. You went to another place in the world and you could understand. Think about international relations. Like how much more, how much easier would that be if everybody just understood what everybody else was saying? But also, I mean, how homogenous would that be? Like how actually not all sides of that are actually upsides. And had he decided to do so, God could have babel fished everybody who was there. Mm. Were such a thing to exist? Although things not existing doesn't seem to be a problem to God. So maybe, anyway, God could have done that, right? God could have gone, okay, babel fish, everybody go. Could have made everyone understand Aramaic that day, but that wasn't what happened. God could have centered Aramaic as the language, the culture and the way to know God, but he didn't. God chose that those who were in the know, the disciples who had met and hung out with and spent time with Jesus, that they would be the ones who would go out, that they would be the ones who would reach out in the language of those around them. To those who hadn't been introduced to Jesus yet, God chose to diversify. I wonder if, I wonder if we wouldn't have got into such a mess with colonization, if we hadn't gone to find the presence of God in the cultures where we went if we hadn't gone to learn their languages and cultures and basically done what the disciples did that day and taken the knowledge and love of Jesus with us, but not insisted that everybody mm. followed our culture, yes. followed our language. What if those original people hadn't presumed to be the bringers of anything, but rather the learners of everything? Perhaps history would have looked a lot different and maybe this is the model that we kind of missed in that whole thing. That if we'd taken the passage of Acts as the model and gone, oh, we actually need to go reach people in their language, in their culture, in their way of understanding, and actually just go find God there and then say, oh, have you met Jesus? Maybe, maybe it could have been so different. And the thing is, we live in one direction. Like, we live on this time thing that keeps going forward and we can't go back and redo it but we can do what we do now better so like Maya Angelou says when you know better do better mm -hmm. so this is our do better moment so I have some questions I told you this was really short how might we do better how might we listen more than we speak how might we decenter our own voices and ourselves how might we come to everyone with a posture of learning rather than dictating the way it has to be? How might we make space for other perspectives, cultures, languages, and people groups? The Holy Spirit helped the disciples see that everyone they met was just as much a part of God's creation as they were, and that they were connected to everyone through God, no matter how different. So my prayer is, Holy Spirit, help us see that everyone we meet is just as much a part of your creation as we are, 
and that we are connected to everyone through you, no matter how different we are. God is all about difference. And every time we work at understanding someone who is different from us, it teaches a little us a little bit more about what God is like. So difference is not just a good thing. Difference is a God thing. I told you I'd keep it short. That's it. I'm done. Um, I want to introduce Krista Roby to you. Uh, you may not have met her. The last time she was in the building with us, I think was like three, four summers ago. So probably double that. I don't know. Krista, what was, how was, what was the last time you were here? Four years ago? No, um, two and a half. Oh, okay. All right. It's just maybe feels like four. <laughs> yeah, no, okay. yeah. So 2020 was a different kind of year. 2021 seems to be the same, and they're all just extending out into endlessness. Um, so Krista uh, is working and living in Malawi, and she went there with her RMT skills and has morphed along the way into what she's doing now. But she can tell her all about that. Um, and uh, we could have talked to so many people in our community of all the different things that we wanted, we wanted to pull you in and, uh, and talk to you this morning. So let's get on with some questions. So uh, Krista, tell us, first of all, just something about you, like anything random. <laughs> I, not on the list, so I'm just- Yeah, I was like, that one didn't- question now, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> something about me. I don't <laughs> How does that question make me stuck? <laughs> Um, I don't know. That's a very broad. Okay, we'll come back. We'll come back. We'll come back. Okay, so what um what area of compassion does your job focus on? <laughs> um, so maybe just jumping on how you kind of introduced there a bit, but with a background in RMT, um, I've kind of looked to come into Malawi, developing a support in rehabilitation in rural communities. Um, so as that's kind of grown and developed over the years. Um, so working with communities in supporting um, their understanding of the needs for rehabilitation, their understanding of, uh, we talk with them about how we value pain above culture. And so there's a lot of mindset discussions as, um, as we prioritize our physical needs over our cultural needs. Um, so we're working with teams of community volunteers that we train in different concepts of how they can support in their communities. Um, we're developing manuals that can go out in other regions of the country so that we can um, see the concepts get developed through other areas and kind of grow beyond myself, basically. Uh, there's a level of working with the ministry, trying to partnership in what we're developing and see how we can bring this into um, kind of a ministry level on the healthcare system. Um, yeah, so that's kind of a general. <laughs> I'm intrigued by that, um, that prioritizing physical needs over cultural needs can you kind of expand a little bit um so a lot of uh, how would you even start <laughs> basically how would you how do i put it 
I mean, culture is the essence of who they are. That at the end is, is the identity of what makes them who they are. And so there's a sense where you maybe prioritize that we ensure that the things of culture are being respected and valued, which can often mean devaluing yourself or not prioritizing your own needs. Um, so how would I add on that? Like when we look at it, I mean, we're a lot of the stuff we're doing because so an example, a very simple example, women sit on the floor. Um, it's a it's a respect. It's an honor. You know, it's. Um, yeah, it's a culture, um, but that sitting on the floor has an impact to their physical health. Right. And so it's beginning to then recognize and understand to say, how can we then look at, you know, it's, it's okay to sit up or it's okay to be off the ground because you're in pain, because you're struggling and you're suffering and it doesn't, yeah, doesn't mean you're disrespecting, but you're, you're prioritizing that your health is in need. Mm. Oh, that must be a hard juggle. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's lots. Um, so you, you have uh, locals working with you. How much, what is your, what does your team look like? My team. So um, <laughs> because we're on a level of developing and trialing. So my team in essence is fairly small. Um, so at this stage, I've got two or three that are, uh, how many? Yeah, that are working with me directly. Um, so then we're the, uh, they're the ones kind of more in the community that we're um, evaluating and trialing and working. So then in the community, we have a team of 12 volunteers. Um, we're in four different communities. And so there's three from each community. <clears throat> so those are the areas where then we're <clears throat> working with community groups or working with um, patients in their homes um, and trialing different concepts. Um, so then outside of that, like I have three physios that I work with from three different regions. So they're the ones currently that I've been training up <clears throat> who can function as facilitators in their areas. Um, and so we've got a lot of people kind of on the outsides that step in, they would say like doing piecework or if we're at sit different levels or different variations. Um, like I have a couple, uh, they call them health officers. So they are like the, um, basically the medical support for the rural communities. Yeah. And so we work with them. So they would come then supporting us at different times when we need to do advocacy or sensitization in communities or different things like that. Um, yeah, so we kind of a little small, but a little broad depending how we pull people in and where we are. Yeah, that's cool. And it's great that you're not doing it all yourself, right? That it's, you know, it's shared. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. yes. All right. So shall I go on to the next one? Um, uh, what kind of self-compassion do you need to keep yourself well-fueled for your job? <laughs> um, <clears throat> my own self-compassion. My biggest thing, I think, when I've been thinking on this is boundaries. <laughs> um, where do I even it's not just the work side I guess but it's life um, 
living in a foreign world, not just a foreign world, but being white in a very rural part of Africa where there is a mentality that white people help us, they will do, <laughs> they will give. Um, so oftentimes, um, I remember in one of the ones earlier this summer, someone made a comment of saying like, ah, to go home at the end of the day. And I thought, <laughs> I'm so jealous. Sometimes going home is uh, the heart, like the most, whatever, anxious part of the day because there's constant, that's where people know how to find you. That's where people know, <laughs> you know, great, Krista's around. Oh, look, we've seen her car go by. She must be heading home. Well, let's go. We need this. We can ask her this. Um, so yeah, so boundaries is a thing that I'm, I would say in self-compassion. I had a, um, Brené Brown does a, a talk on compassion and boundaries. And I love how she talked about it. <clears throat> if I can precursor this for a minute. Um, but she was talking about compassion without boundaries isn't genuine, it's not compassion. Um, because in the end, your bucket's empty. So you're just giving out of a sense of, fine, let me do this for you. Right. And you're not doing it from a compassionate sense. And I found it so interesting listening to her because she talked about how the way she was commenting was that compassion is a belief that we're connected to one another by something rooted in love, rooted in God. Mm -hmm. But it's empathy. And she talked about how empathy is the skills which we are taught to bring compassion to life. Right. And when I've kept thinking about that, one thing that is so challenging is this is a survival culture. Everyone is constantly facing needs and traumas and challenges that the way empathy is taught here is as a duty. It's just an expectation. And it's... <laughs> It, yeah, it's not the way I grew up knowing compassion because I did it from a desire. It was my want to do that thing. But when you're constantly facing another wall and another wall and another challenge, okay. then you just like show up for the sake of, well, I have to. And so for me learning in myself, how do I maintain a genuine compassion <laughs> is trying to say, okay, then I need a boundaries. I can't always engage in everything that needs me. I can't always feel guilty if I'm not available, but let me give when I can give <laughs> out of that. I had, a, I had an old pastor who used to say, I need to be alive to minister again tomorrow. Like that. Say it again. I, I need to be alive to minister again tomorrow. So, you know, yeah. if, you, if you give it all today and you have nothing left for tomorrow, then you, you went too far. You need leftovers mm -hmm. so that you can repair, yeah. ready to go again tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Helpful thing. Um, so uh, uh, how can we come alongside you to support the work that you're doing, either you personally or your organization? What is your organization? And um, just so everybody can look it up. Uh, health in Motion is the name of our organization. So the website is healthinmotionafrica.com. Okay, cool. Um, support. So how can we support you or support the organization? Um, if I look at myself, let me start on HIM. Um, <laughs> it's easier to talk about something other than yourself. Um, 
I would say where we're at right now within HIM, um, the thing that I sometimes find a bit tricky is we, or I'm, I'm trying to develop and work in a concept where we're building capacity. And so we don't work on a sense of, you know, anyways, sometimes it's easier when you can come and say, hey, $500, we can build a new well or dig a well or build a building. <laughs> but where I'm at for us to keep growing and developing, I would say I'm looking at about another $300 a month to be able to maintain the, the wages and the support in the capacity of developing our team that we have and are wanting to grow. Um, yeah, because the need is coming up. We have more regions and more communities that are asking that we can develop in their areas, but it means then I need to train people mm -hmm. who can be released into those areas to go and function in um, supporting them. Um, in myself, I think, <laughs> honestly, the biggest thing comes down to just being able to separate at times. Um, yeah, kind of in what I'm kind of expressing a little bit, but it is a foreign world. And as much as Canada has become foreign in many ways, I've been gone a long time. There's always a core of us that is still connected to our root. And things here get overwhelming <laughs> and tough. And just that ability to get an email, get a you know, a message, it just, it's almost like it transports me, whether it's for three seconds or for three minutes or 30 minutes, but I actually feel like ah, <laughs> I got to step out. Right, just um, a little bit of contact helps. Yeah, it makes such a difference having that. Um, yeah, so I think the biggest thing in my own self personally is just to feel connected Mm -hmm. outside of here <laughs> being here on your own can definitely forget <laughs> that there is another world back home right um but it does make a difference i find if yeah when i get an email or a message from home i will probably read that message even if it's two lines for the next two weeks because every time i reopen it it just takes me out right. and it allows me to yeah breathe in a world that i know is still out there without sounding cheesy. No, that's fantastic. That's cool. And that's such an easily doable thing. So that's yeah. great. That's awesome. Um, okay. And then finally, I mean, I'm going to let everybody else have at her with questions in a minute. I'm sure other people have things they want to ask you. But um, the last question I've got for you is, what are some unhelpful stereotypes and prejudices that uh, you've encountered in regards to your job and what you do that might get in the way? Um, it's funny, you, I think you kind of said it in your conversation on X, um, but the thing that was in my head thinking on that was, Malawi's not poor, Malawi doesn't need our help. Um, it doesn't mean there's not pockets of poverty. It doesn't mean there's not needs, but does it mean that we come with that mentality that we know what's right and we know how to fix it? Um, and I think it gets tricky when we have that mindset and that mentality. One, <laughs> there's so much we know in our own selves that we learn through experience. 
And often what happens when we come and try and fix before people have had an experience, they can't learn. Mm-hmm. And so we, we strip them of that, the learning process that is what actually develops us and matures us and grows us into our next stage. Right. And so I think when we get caught that, no, 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 we want to prevent. <laughs> but the reality in who we are in humanity and in our experiences is that we have to. We have to experience at times. And it's not a bad thing right. because we're all growing at different levels. Um, and yeah, in the sense of, you know, this mentality of being poor, I feel that so much, we forget we become a global world. And so it doesn't matter how remote I go anymore, you're going to sit there with someone who's on their smartphone. And luckily, not so much now, but reading stories about Trump or <laughs> following whatever's happening around the world, everyone knows everything now. Mm. And so... Malawi knows that the whole world says they're poor or Africa, whoever it is. But the challenge is a country like this hasn't developed in a sense of, I don't want to confuse this. Let me just say like, then Malawi as a whole puts themselves on a global scale. And so everyone in Malawi is poor because we can't match to Hollywood or, or to, you know, this lifestyle that is far above us when in reality, we, we also are not at that level of wealth, but we're, we're not spoken of as being poor in our everyday life. Mm-hmm. But Malawi has been labeled and you know Africa has been labeled. And so they carry this mentality and we don't allow them to actually rise up to who they are and into what they have um, because they're constantly carrying this weight that, well, we're poor, we're poor. And I think we actually demean them from what wealth and beauty they do have to offer. That's cool. <laughs> and a mic drop. <laughs> no, that was yeah. <laughs> great. Well, um, I would love to pray for you, and then uh, we'll let anybody else um, pop in and um, say anything they want to say and ask you any questions that they have, uh, if that's cool with you. No problem. Um, so let's just pray for you. So, um, God, I thank you for Krista. I thank you that um, she is a, a part of us, um, as well as being far away from us. And uh, God, I pray that you would be with her, that you would um, be her companion, and that you would be alongside her in every day. I pray, God, that you would uh, reinforce her boundaries and enable her to um, to work within them. And uh, yeah, just protect her heart and, and who she is. God, give her um, what she needs for day and like even praise we just say lord have mercy amen